Hello, and welcome to another DBSA podcast. I'm Sarah Wendell from Smart Pitches Trashy Books, and with me is Jane Litt from Dear Author. Yay, we're back together. This week, we have a letter from a reader named Kim who wanted to ask us what we read on device-wise and what device recommendations we have. Plus, I have a quiz for Jane because I'm evil, and we have a long and, in my case, somewhat angry discussion of what we're reading right now. The music you're listening to was brought to you by Sassy Outwater, and I'll have information at the end of the podcast about who this is and how awesome they are and where you can buy them. But first, I have a word or many words from our sponsor. Intermix, our podcast sponsor, would like you to know about My Cowboy Heart, a hot new romance about life on a ranch by Z.A. Maxfield. You can discover Z.A. Maxfield's cowboy romances this summer. My Cowboy Heart tells the story of J. Bar Foreman Jefe Malloy, who pretty much keeps to himself, slinking around the edges of ranch life like an old coyote doing his job and staying private. That is until Crispin Carrasco shows up. Lean, muscular, and with a motor mouth that won't quit, Crispin sparks something in Jefe, something the foreman did not know was there. But how does a lone coyote approach the warmth of a fire? More important, what would happen if that fire burned? You can discover My Cowboy Heart on August 20th, available for download from Intermix. And now, on with the podcast. So we have a letter, and then I also have a quiz for you because I'm evil. <laughs> Would you like to do the quiz first, or you want to do the letter first? Oh my goodness, let's do the letter first. Okay, just just wait. I was working on this all last night. It, it'll, it'll scar you. So this letter is from Kim, and Kim writes, Hi, Sarah and Jane. I would love it if you'd talk about reading devices and how you keep track of your books, what you've read, what you thought of it, and what you plan to read. You all got me hooked on the Book Rages podcast. The one they did on eBooks was really interesting, and I'd like to hear your take. What devices do you all use for reading? How do you juggle among the different devices? Which do you like best and why? I have a Nook tablet and a laptop. I wanted the Nook tablet for reading and web browsing, but it sucks at the latter and my laptop is getting old. So I'm contemplating an iPad, but the iPad mini is awfully expensive for just an e-reader and browser. So I'm thinking of an iPad to replace my laptop and keep the Nook as a devoted e-reader. I've heard people talk about using different devices for reading, phone, Nook, iPad, Kobo, but does that mean that you have to constantly switch which book you're reading depending on where you are and what device you're using? Can you sync the books among devices if you use more than one? I use Caliber, but I have a lot of audiobooks and get the majority of my print books from the library. I couldn't figure out how to use Caliber to keep track of those. So I bought Bolide's All My Books as a book database, but recently I've started using Goodreads also so that I can share what I've read with some friends. I'm really interested to hear how you all deal with these issues. I've heard you touch on these topics in podcasts, but I don't think you've devoted time specifically to these questions. Thank you for your great podcasts. I enjoy listening to them and always look forward to the next one from Kim. All right. Well, I am an Amazon user, Kindle user, and I have been for a long time. And I think that what you use to read on sometimes depends on what, where you entered the ebook market at. We both um, know uh, Nicole Blog Happy, and she has been a Nook user for a long time, and she wanted to make the move to the Kindle, but she had bought like two or 300 books under her Nook, and so that meant that- That's a big did, investment. Yeah, it's a huge investment. So if she wanted to move to the Kindle, she would lose access to those books um, because a Kindle e-ink reader, for example, doesn't allow you to read Nook books. You can sideload, I think, the Nook app onto a tablet, like a Kindle Fire. 
but that's not very fun. <laughs> if you, I mean, it requires some dedication to do these siloing of apps, and then they're not easy to update and so forth. So I've kind of abandoned recommending that to anyone who's not a hardcore computer techie person. Especially because if you're going to sideload something. It takes time to move all of those files and then organize them. And the way readers, digital reader devices have developed, they want to send you the book directly to your reader. They don't want you to sideload. Like sideloading is something that they want to support less and less, it seems, because every time you have to do it, it becomes so cumbersome. Right. And sideloading the app is even worse because you have to update your app manually um, versus the kind of integrated way that... Uh, apps are now updated with within a tablet. So what I use to read, and I, I don't use my uh, Kindle uh, e-ink anymore, and I haven't used it for quite some time. I do have one because occasionally I like to take advantage of the Kindle's owner lending library, and you can only do that through a Nook, or excuse me, a Kindle device, so like a Kindle Fire or Kindle... Um, e-ink reader. You can't do it through an app. So I still have my Kindle e-ink reader, but I only use it to um, access the Kindle owner's lending library. I read on my iPad mini and my iPhone, and I take advantage of the WhisperSync uh, program that Amazon has extended to its users. So what that means is I email myself um, books. Like, for example, I bought a book the other day at Kobo because there was a 50% off coupon. And you'll laugh at this, uh, Sarah, but I bought, I used the 50% coupon on a 99 cent book. <laughs> somewhere, somewhere, my coupon addicted mother-in-law just flinched and she doesn't know why. <laughs> and I didn't realize how dumb it was until I was checking out. And I'm like, damn, I just used, I mean, that was probably the most foolish financial decision I had made that week. But then I, so I downloaded it and uh, I convert it. I have it all set up automatically that whenever I download something, it gets imported into Caliber and then converted to Mobi. And then I email it to, to myself via Caliber and it shows up on all of my Kindle apps my Kindle Paperwhite, my iPhone Kindle app, my Kindle um, for Mac, and my uh, Kindle on the iPad mini. And WhisperSync uh, is a syncing technology that works even for those, those side-loaded books. And so when I'm reading on my iPad mini and I have to leave it at home because it doesn't have internet access, and I can pick it up on my iPhone when I'm out and about. And I really love that feature. Um, I know that the Nook and Kobo and Sony, I believe, all offer that syncing capability in its app, but only for the books that you buy directly from those stores. And the ability to buy from a different store and then mail it to your account via the personal document system is I think what sets Kindle uh, ahead of other retailers for me. So that's kind of how I read. Um, I, I love my iPad mini for reading because it gives you more screen to read. But 
Um, because it's not Wi-Fi enabled, I often find myself leaving it at home and just, or it is Wi-Fi enabled. It's just that it's not connected to a cellular account. You can buy those, but I didn't want to pay the extra amount. So I find myself reading on my iPhone a lot when I'm out and about, like if I go to Starbucks or something. What about you? Well, before I ask, I have a question. Yeah. How did you set up the automatic uh, uploading from Caliber to the Kindle? Is that an is that a plug-in for Caliber, or do you just drag them onto the uh, Send to Kindle app? No, what I use is a – I don't have an automatic send to, although I think you can set that up through Caliber, because I don't always want to send everything that I put in Caliber to my Kindle. Right. What happens is I have um, – are you familiar with the Automator program? Oh, of course. Okay, so Automator is a um, a little program that comes on all Mac, all Apple computers, and it can be used to combine series of steps together and be executed automatically. For example, when you put something into a folder, you can tell your computer to, hey, when I put a file in that folder, I want you to do X, Y, Z to it. So what happens is whenever a book is downloaded into my documents folder, like digital editions or Kobo or whatever, it automatically knows that that file should be copied to another folder called auto add to books. This is a folder that I created. And, and I do that because when Caliber imports a book, it will delete it. So I want to make sure that the original stays in the digital editions folder, and just a copy then is made of that book into the auto add. And then from auto add, Caliber knows that whenever there's a new file in there, it should import it. So Caliber takes that file, imports it, and then I have it set so that it automatically converts everything to Mobi if it's not already in Mobi. And then, so that all happens automatically, so long as Caliber is open or the first time that Caliber gets opened. And then I make the decision, you know, on a daily or regular basis, what books I'll send. And then I just use the send to Kindle feature. Right. I have an automator set up because my laptop on the first floor does not connect to a printer, but my desktop upstairs does. And I have an automator, automator, automator called the print queue, where if I so I save a document into the print queue folder from anywhere in the house. My upstairs computer will check the folder and send it to the printer for me. This has changed my life. And you'd think that it would be like you're going up two, sto two sets of stairs and hitting print. No, having the automation is amazing. So now I want to set this up. This is awesome. Can you do a screen cap of your automator sequence? I actually did a post on it, and I can email you, you Email me the post, please. And then um, Brian, who also does some tech posts for Dear Author, did one for PC users using a free program called Belvedere. Nice. I love that. That's called Belvedere. <laughs> That's it's awesome. It's your butler. It's your butler. That's awesome. So, yeah, I, th that's really, I love Automator. I love um, reducing the amount of steps it takes to do anything. Yes, repeating sequence, getting rid of repeated sequence is a very good thing. As far as my digital reading, I use a paperweight. And as I've mentioned on the podcast before, I, 
I divide up my books on my Paperwhite into collections, which is something that you can only do on a Kindle e-ink device. The Kindle Fire does not have collections, which is so stupid. And the Kindle um, PC or desktop reading software, I don't think that has really good collections either, although I've never fooled around with it. The reason I use the e-ink device is because e-ink is really comfortable for my eyes and trying to read on any kind of LCD screen, something about that plus the fact that I wear bifocals, it makes my head hurt very quickly. And I have tried the Kindle Fire, I've tried my iPad, I've tried my husband just got the Nexus, the new Google Nexus. So I was looking at that and after a while I could feel my eyes starting to hurt. I love e-ink, I think it's wonderful. I am as attached to e-ink as ferociously as those people who like get angry at the suggestion of digital books start going on about how awesome paper is. And so I have this deep fear that the e-ink devices might someday disappear because I like them so much and everyone else is reading on LCD, just not me. The thing I like about the Paperwhite is the ease on my eyes, the fact that I can do collections relatively easily, um, the fact that I can control the light of the device, I can make it very bright, I can make it very dim, and I can, of course, crank the text up. The fact that it's e-ink plus the light has really changed the amount I read. I read a lot before, and now I read even more because I can take my glasses off and read anywhere, and it's not, it's not bothersome to anyone. I read all night on a long-haul airplane ride and did not disturb anyone around me because I had the light turned way down, and it doesn't really reflect and bother other people. The thing about syncing books between devices that is not so awesome for me is that if I buy something for myself, it will show up on the Kindle Fire carousel. And my five-year-old uses the Kindle Fire a lot because since the Kindle Fire started the free time app, which is a service that you can sign up for for kids where you tell it the age of the person and what gender they are and um, how long you want them to be able to have access to books, apps, games, videos, and I think magazines are in there too. It will allow them to access a unlimited number of pre-approved programs and books. But when I don't have the Kindle free time app started, all of the stuff that I buy shows up in the carousel. And so since my five-year-old is just learning to read and he wants to read everything, there are some things I don't want him to read yet, even if it's just the title. So I'm very attentive to the Kindle Fire to make sure that nothing that I purchased for the Paperwhite or sent to the Paperwhite has also been sent to the Fire. And a lot of the times it's just duplicated. So the syncing service can be a little too generous. Like it really wants to help you, except that maybe you have children on your account because you don't want to give them their own account yet because they're five. Yeah, that's a problem for, um, although I think, um, I think you can limit that somehow uh, with profiles on the Kindle Fire, uh, what shows up in the carousel and what does not. But I, Barnes and Noble's uh, Nook has profiles that are that's even better than the Kindle Fire. Yes. But yeah, that's a real problem. What I ended up doing is um, getting my daughter her own Kindle account, and so. Um, uh, you can hook up to like five accounts to one prime membership. Right. So I got her her own account and it's hooked up to my um, credit card. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I guess you have to trust your kid that they're not going to go wild and spend lots of money. Yeah. Right. But um, that's how I've ended up controlling it. I think Angie James gave me that idea. She does that for her daughter. 
And then I did that for my husband because he didn't want to read my books either. <laughs> surprise, surprise. Oh, why um, not? <laughs> yeah. So we have three different accounts and we all have our own. It's, it's the one disadvantage is that, so like my daughter and I are in a book club with some other moms and daughters. And if I buy that digital book, then we all have to be signed into her account in order to read that book at the same time. So you're constantly signing in and out of different accounts to access different things that you've purchased. Well, that's what you should be doing. Right, of course. Except that there are ways around that. <laughs> it, it, annoying ways. Annoying ways, not easy ways. Right. I mean, um, I should be able to access her account easily, uh, but I'm, sh but I know that lots of people are against that. So. No, I, I have no problem accessing the account of my children, especially if I'm paying for it, and especially if they're under ten. For this reader, this particular reader, Kim is trying to figure out what to do after having a Nook tablet and a laptop, and she needs to move on from the Nook, and she doesn't want to read on her laptop, and she's contemplating the iPad, except that the iPad mini is very expensive for just being an e-reader and a browser. What do you recommend for her for reading? Do you think it's worth it to get an iPad mini just to read and browse on? I'm, I'm thinking no. I'm thinking another tablet that would be cheaper is better, but the problem is the Kindle Fire is a shitty browser. I guess it depends on what she wants to spend. The Nook HD Plus right now at $149 is an amazing um, piece of technology. I mean, it is, it is kind of best in class in terms of the screen, um, the processor. Mm -hmm. Well, the processor is a little um, uh, less robust than the Nexus, but the screen size is really great. I, you know, my fear is when you buy those Nooks, you really are kind of left out there by yourself. You're not going to have a lot of support. And, nope. And so you you have to be prepared that if it dies or if you have problems, you're really going to have to solve those problems yourself. Um, the, the, next, the next cheapest Android tablet out there um, is going to be the Kindle Fire. Yeah. And you can load your a Nook app onto the Kindle Fire, so you'd be able to access those Nook books that you've that she's purchased. Mm -hmm. You know, September is supposed to be a new product launch for Apple. They're supposed to come out with a much larger iPad, a larger iPhone. Um, so there might be something in the new product launch that would be more in line with her mm -hmm. um, with her price range. Yes. But I don't have a good solution for her. You know, if she wants to, I, I do a lot of stuff with my iPad mini. I mean, I do a lot of content creation. I, I've got a keyboard for it, and um, I, do, uh, I do posts on there. I can um, write work-related things. Obviously, a lot of my work is email exchanges, so that's easy to take care of. Um, I, a tablet is never going to replace your laptop. No. Well, I shouldn't say that. Right now, a tablet can't really replace your laptop. It might be able to in the future. I think that the Samsung Galaxy Notes are really neat. I see mm -hmm. them at Costco every time I go and get groceries. 
And I'm very tempted to get one. I love the pen input. There's a lot of things that the Android platform does that's more sophisticated than the Apple platform. But that, again, that's, I think, 300 some dollars. So, you know, right now, there's nothing cheaper on the market than a Nook tablet. Yep. And the only problem, the, the problem really with the Nook tablet is not so much the technology itself as the fact that it's not supported. And it, unless I've missed something, it's still a little unclear whether or not they're still trying to sell the Nook division, right? Yeah, I mean, yes, I think they're trying to sell the Nook division. And they, they, yesterday they came out with their financial um, statements prior to, or some financial preview. So I suppose that they hope that their stock doesn't crash when the full-fledged financial statements come out. But they said that they were still looking forward to um, serving up best-in-class digital readers. The problem, of course, is that they uh, are going to start partnering with other manufacturers to bring forth kind of a, a white label Nook. They'll, so they'll take somebody else's Panasonic or something and put Nook on it. Well, that doesn't make me want to buy it. <laughs> that doesn't make me excited at all. I'm, I get very frustrated with Barnes & Noble very easily, and I feel like recommending them I – feel, I feel almost unkind recommending Nook devices to someone because – like you said, there is so little support that if you ever have a problem, you're going to be on your own. And I hate doing that to somebody, especially someone who's exploring a new technology. I don't want their experience to be with a new reader to be frustrating and, and angry making. And I don't want them to have to spend hours on Google trying to figure out what the hell's wrong with it and why won't it do what I want. And even without the best hardware the support of Amazon is so much better that I, I just, I feel guilty recommending Barnes and Noble because their customer service is so bad. That said, that device is wicked nice. Yeah. I mean, I think that as long as you have a local Barnes and Noble store, that yep. the in-store customer service is really great. Yep. But um, yeah, the, the internet and telephone help is really poor. Yeah. Well, I hope that helps Kim. I hope that's helpful. Okay. Are you ready for a quiz? Yes. Okay. I've got five questions. It's only five, but um, they're hard. Okay. Which of the following is not a vintage Harlequin title? A, to woo a wife. B, tree of paradise. C, touch me all night. D, virgin with butterflies. E, the feathered shaft. Well, I'm going to say A, and the only reason I'm going to say A is because I have a book, uh, a vintage Harlequin book that's like Alien of the Corn. <laughs> so all of those other ones sound right in line with my vintage Harlequin book. Alien of the Corn. <laughs> Unfortunately, I made up Touch Me All Night. But The Feathered Shaft, not only is that a real book, but somebody sent me the book and the woman has the most enormously feathered hair. I think the shaft is whatever's in her hair, holding up her hair. Have you read Alien of the Corn? No, I started to and I got distracted. I need to pull it out. Yeah, because um, that sounds like horror. Yeah, it does. And I don't think it has a lot to do with corn either. <laughs> poor, poor corn. Okay. We're going to switch genres for a minute. Which of the following is not the title of a cozy mystery? 
So if one of these is made up, the rest of them are real. Well, that, that's not fair. I don't read cozy mysteries. Well, you know, you're just going to have to guess. These are all real except one. A, peach pies and alibis, a charmed pie shop mystery. Bewitched, bothered, and biscotti, a magical bakery mystery. Mod Podge murder, the scarlet scrapbook mysteries. Going, going ganache, a cupcake bakery mystery. Fondueing Fathers, a White House chef mystery, and Nickled and Dimed to Death, a Devereaux's Dime Store mystery. I'm going to go with the Fathers one because <laughs> cozy mysteries are all about the women. Fondueing Fathers is a real book. Kind of want to read it, right? Because it sounds kind of kinky. The one I made up was Mod Podge Murder, the Scarlet Scrapbook Mystery. But I stumbled onto Peach Pies and Alibis. And you know the little scroll of similar books on Amazon? It went on and on and on with more and more twee cozy mystery series. So the next time I complain about all of the twee like, small town names, I have to shut up because that was just a million times worse. Magical Bakery, Charmed Pie Shop. I think there needs to be some crossover. Okay. Which of the following is a real book description? A. In a world that is used to seeing and dealing with aliens, Colleen finds a new career in the escort business. Her adventures start on the planet Scort, where she's an escort to a prominent dignitary. She experiences her first interplanetary sexual encounter and things will never be the same again. Or, when aliens populate the Earth, all women are forced to become escorts for Rapullin, the alien king. But Rapullin can satisfy more than one woman at once. When the men on Earth become jealous of his prowess and demand he share or leave the planet, the women band together to show them all who's in control. Which of the which of those two is a real book? The former. The Scort? Yes, you are correct. How did you know? Is it the planet Scort? No, because the second one doesn't fall into the erotic fantasy category. Ah, oh, you're right. I didn't include enough sex. Darn. Okay. Which of the following is not an erotica author pseudonym? A. Brandy Wine. B, Celine Chatillon or Chatillon. C, Kitty Meeker. Or D, Alex Andrea. Alex Andrea. Alex Andrea is a real pseudonym. Brandy Wine is a character invented by Celine Chatillon or Chatillon or however you say it. I don't think wine should be anywhere near a character names. It's, it's too suggestive a negative idea. All right. And finally, last night I discovered that there is, and I don't know why I didn't know this, because it seems like this is something that I should have known of before. But did you know there's lactation erotica? Well, yeah, <laughs> I did. <laughs> well, I knew that Lisa Valdez's book had a big old lactation scene. No, um, when I was at RWA or RT a few years ago, uh, a well-known author who I hadn't had very much interaction with told me I needed to read Milk Bitch. What? Milk yeah. Bitch? Yeah, and I don't think it's on sale anymore. They took it off and repurposed it, but whatever. She, uh, I did buy it, and um, 
because she spoke so glowingly about it and not in like, oh my God, you have to read it because it's the best thing ever, but oh my God, you have to read it because it is the most what the fuck thing ever. And Fabulous. Uh, How was it? Was, was it among the most what the fuck things ever? I couldn't really get into it. And I thought, well, someday I'll return to it. And then I never did. Oh, what a bummer. But hey, you have a copy. You know, you could like sell that on the black market. Yeah. So I discovered last night that there is erotic lactation, basically written prawn. And what was, I don't know what was more disturbing as someone on Twitter was agreeing with me. What the, the titles and the fact that there were like all of these different lactation erotic stories or the fact that people were pricing them at $3 for what was basically like 15 pages. Yeah. I mean, I guess if you, I mean, I resent that, but if it's working, no one's forcing people to buy it. I mean, as long as it's clear what you're getting in terms of like how many pages. Yeah. And then if you're unhappy with your purchase, you can always return it. Yep. And you can return it after you've read it because it'll only take what, like three minutes to read. (laughs) Cause you know, it's 15 pages and $3. But I, when I was looking at some of them on Amazon, I didn't see any of them listed particularly high on any lists that Amazon calculates. So I'm wondering if they do get bought and returned a lot because $3. I've heard heard that Amazon prevents um, erotic books from, Appearing on lists. I mean, that's a rumor. I don't know how true that is. Well, given some of these titles, that does not surprise me. Yeah. Amazon's number one title is Milk Bitch. Yes. Breast Milk Bukaki, or however the hell you say it. (sighs) Okay. So, in the theme of lactation erotica, which of the. Oh, yes. Which of the following is not a real book? You ready? I'm ready. Which of the following is not real? A, his milkmaid. B, milking the milf. C, are you hot for milking? D, my alpha ex-brother-in-law milked me. And E, the billionaire's milkmaid. Boy, I'm I'm either going to go with A or C. I'm going to go with C. Are you hot for milking? No, the alpha. My alpha ex-brother-in-law milked? Yeah. That is unfortunately real. Because there I is. I should have known the ex brother in law. Well, there's a whole other subset that I did not. I feel like my mind has been expanded in ways that I was not prepared for as I was looking at this. Because, you know, when I build these quizzes, I go deep, deep, deep into the. Right. Into there's the, into a the huge, retailers. There's a, what's really popular in erotica is the pseudo incest. Yes. And pseudo forbidden. So there's yes. a whole ex brother in law. There's pseudo incest and then there's lactation. And when you cross the streams, nothing good happens here. <laughs> I should have known that. Yes, I'm quite aware of the pseudo incest. Apparently, it's a huge moneymaker for self-published authors. Yes. And I've I've read some of it. And it, it's a weird balance watching the writer try to balance out the pseudo incest, the, the titillating aspects of you really, really, no, really, really should not be fucking this person. And the, but wait, it's okay because we're not bringing any laws. Like walking that delicate line and trying to keep the, the, the dramatic tension of you're not supposed to be doing this is very difficult. And also there are 40 pages and $3 each. So the one that was not real 
It was Milking the MILF. And I cannot believe that that's not a real title. I Googled it all over the place. Do not Google image that search. Just don't look at the images if you Google that phrase. But Milking the MILF was not a book that I could find. And I oh, think... Oh, I thought for sure that was the only... One that was real, right? Yeah, there's... There's a lot of porn. Um, MILF porn. There's a lot of MILF porn. Well, there's a lot of milking the MILF porn. There is. I feel like this is an investment opportunity for us. No. We could do a whole 25 book series of 15 pages of MILF milking and pu publish them at $2.99 each and um, you know, retire to a very, very large desert island with internet access. I know. <laughs> I could only look at those pictures for two seconds before I turned it off. So I don't think so. Is this worse than the picture of the breast with the... Um... No, no, don't even say it. <laughs> Have you seen that picture? Yes. And I realized when I saw it that it was a Photoshop of the center of a particular flower in the, in the middle of a breast, but it was so disturbing. I don't think we should share that, that with the... I don't think I can link to that at the podcast entry, though. <laughs> oh, don't. Let's stop talking about it. Holy cow. Oh, poor Jane. You're going to have to put your head between your knees. <laughs> so before we go, do you want to tell tell me what you're reading right now? Oh, my Lord. Okay. Um, I read last night, uh, or this past week, I read On the Island by Tracy Garvis Graves. I, I thought you read that a long time ago. No, no. It was reviewed on my site. So, you know, I have this rule that once it's reviewed on the site. It's not worth your time. Of course, you've got things to read. It's not worth my time, but I got to read something else. Of course. Um, so I finally read that last night. It was pretty entertaining. And then um, last night I read Here Without You, which is Tamara Weber's upcoming book. I think it releases on August 6th. So um, by the time this podcast comes out, it'd probably be out. And I really enjoyed that. I think Weber has the ability to take characters that you thought you would never like uh -huh. and make them sympathetic and interesting. And I think that takes some real skill. Definitely, definitely <laughs> takes some skill. As an author. And um, it was really a lovely story. And uh, it was sad that it was over. I emailed her and I said, I, I think your book's too short. Go back and write some more. <laughs> <laughs> so what did you think of On the Island? Well, it was very, I mean, it moved really fast. It yes. was a really fast paced book. Um, and I appreciated that when they came back, they had to deal with all of the issues um, kind of associated with her being so much older than him and them being stranded when he was a teenager. Right. Um, but everybody in their lives were very accepting of it. And they had quite a bit of personal funds that allowed them to kind of escape from, uh, this is really spoilerish, <laughs> uh, but it's been out for a while, right? Yeah, I think it's all right. Uh, that the allow them to escape um, about, I think, 60% uh, of the book takes place on the island and about 40% is their rescue, recovery, and post-island um, life. Right. Um, I will say that, you know, the that how they fell in love seemed very organic. I mean, they were out there on an island by themselves for, <clears throat> you know, I think they were there for three, almost four years. So it, it seemed almost inevitable that they would 
become a couple. And then I think once you live that experience, once you have that kind of experience, only you and that other person or whomever shared that experience with you can really understand. Right. And they, and that's the only other person who can understand the re-entry. And, right. And the experience and, of having to go back off of, get to go back to regular life after having lived through something like this. Right. I know. I mean, this isn't even remotely similar, but my brother was in the Peace Corps and that really changed him quite a bit. And he was uh, served in Benin, West Africa, which is a very impoverished uh, area of the world. And a great deal of war. And it just, it really changed him and his outlook and his, um, the kind of things that he valued. And obviously the person that he would end up with would have to reflect those changed values. So, I, I mean, I think that the book made sense. I, you, I certainly believed in their romance. I was not at all skeeved out by it, which is what I was worried about. <laughs> and I thought the survival scenes were pretty well done. Um, they crash into the Maldives and uh, they have, you know, Swiss Family Robinson-esque sort of experiences, although they're not there to conquer the land and kill all the animals. No, they're just they're just there not to die. Right, right. So, I mean, I thought it was pretty good. It also has a very huge sort of forbidden aspect, which I think, like you said, is one of the major... Um, one of the more popular things right now in erotic and romance reading, the idea that what you're doing is really, really forbidden and the fact that she's older and his tutor and he's a teenager and young made a huge, I mean, it, it, it's very powerful to really, real, to read a situation like that. Yeah. I think that it's the, I mean, the forbidden aspect is there, but the, the kid had leukemia. Uh -huh. The setup is the kid uh, has leukemia non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, and he's in remission, but he's missed a lot of school. So they hire this 30-year-old teacher um, to tutor him for the summer to prepare him for uh, re-entry into public school. And as they're flying from, I can't remember what island it is, to the Maldives, um, they're in a plane and the plane goes down. There's so little interaction. There, he doesn't seem like a teen. No, no. Ever. I remember when I read it, I thought this guy does not seem like a teenager. Like, yeah, when does he, he get pouty? Like, when does he get sullen and pouty? Right. He doesn't have any hormone. I mean, other than his um, uncomfortable sexual urges. Yeah. He, he doesn't come off as a, a stereotypical teen. And it might be, you know, his cancer. Uh, and it could be the circumstances, but he never comes across as young. And so I think that that helps to kind of ameliorate the, the he's so young, wrong part. Right, right. So anything, um, anything else that you're reading that you want to talk about? Let's see. I'll let me go through. <laughs> let me go through my Kindle. Yeah, app. good plan. I read Trust in Me by D. Tenorio. I actually read that like a month ago. It had a really sweet hero in it, Locke, who is kind of this caretaker alpha, um, falls in love with this woman in town, and he they finally kind of consummate their, un, their, their longing gazes, but she's got these secrets from the past, and she doesn't feel like she can commit to him. I felt that the emotional tension was really kind of manufactured, but the hero is pretty adorable in that. 
I think of that whole series when I was reading those books. Every time Locke was in a scene, I was like, I can't wait to read his book. He's so interesting. So you did know? you read that? Did you read his book? I could not get through it because I, like you said, I thought the tension was really manufactured, and I and I was like, okay, I can't get worked up over this big secret that you have because you're handling it so badly and <laughs> being such a complete nut job about it and not even thinking rationally. Whereas the hero is one of the most rational and attentive and quiet guys. She won't let him help her for what I could not see as any good reasons. You know what I, I mean? Yes, it was, it, it was tough. <laughs> but God, I liked him so much. He was one of my favorites, um, sort of ancillary characters, especially because he's the big brother who raised them. And they're all kind of a little afraid of him. Like he's, he's a really interesting character. And I wish that the, the tension between them had been something that would have been able to sustain throughout the whole story without being sort of propped up by irrational behavior. Yeah. And I, and I kind of had the, I, I kind of felt like we were going to get a different story. Yep. Um, I felt like it would be more of the battle of the will, you know, kind of a clash of wills sort of thing. Um, and I was kind of disappointed about how Susie was turned into this vulnerable heroine. I didn't think that Locke needed that. You know, I, I really kind of appreciated his story about how he um, was lonely. You know, everyone expected him to celebrate his empty nest, but he was really lonely and he wanted to fill it back up. And he wanted to do that with Susie and he was willing to stand by her no matter what kind of problems came her way. And, and her kind of reluctance to uh, fall into that just didn't make much sense to me. No. And I also wanted him to not have a person that he had to take care of. I wanted someone who would who would who would be able to take care of him in a lot more overt ways. And that didn't happen as much as I wanted. You know, because he's the last character in a way he has earned his story because he's been there taking care of all of his siblings for so many years and through the books and through the other series and as they all got matched up with various people. I wanted him to be evenly matched with someone who would care for him more, not someone who he had to care for so very much, who also, like I said, was relying on some really poor decision making to continue the scenario where he had to take care of her. Like I if agree. you're if you're going to grow up, grow up, don't regress and and then grow up again and then regress again because it's convenient because you don't know what else to do with yourself. Stop that. Be a grown up. Damn it. I completely agree with you about that book. I was bummed out, but gosh, I love that character. Like that is one of the characters that I would write fanfic for and I don't ever 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 consider that. But I thought he was fascinating. <laughs> I'm too lazy to write fanfic. I'm oh. way too lazy for that. Um, I read Jackie Ashton's Talking Dirty with the CEO. And the reason that I picked this book, it was on sale for 99 cents. But, you know, there are tons of books on sale for 99 cents. Right. But the reason I picked this book was that I like the dirty talking hero, but the heroine was a geek. And I thought that would be fun to read about. And I'll say this, that she really is a geek throughout the entire story. And he is, too. Um, in fact, one of the things that they do one afternoon is rebuild an old computer of hers and they wax rhapsodic about his, uh, high tech, um, hi-fi stereo system. So I thought those were <laughs> funny things. Um, his issue is that he has a serious case of ADD and, um, 
he can get so focused on some things that he'll totally forget about other things and that his tension is, you know, bounces from thing to thing to thing. And he is always disappointing his sister. He forgets her birthdays and other important aspects of her life. Right. And he's afraid to commit to this woman because he already has one woman in his life that he's constantly disappointing. Right. So um, that was a cute setup. And I enjoyed the story and I enjoyed her writing. But uh, but how these two get together, are, you must bury your uh, disbelief so far under the ground <laughs> that it is circling back around to Australia, which is maybe where this author comes from. But so she is a <clears throat> she is a writer for one of the more respected tech magazines. OK, the hero is the CEO of the biggest uh, tech firm in New Zealand. Now, you and I both know New Zealand is a small country. Yeah, it's very little. There is just no way for me <laughs> to believe that this tech writer doesn't recognize him. <laughs> so she go she hooks up with him because apparently Zealand. his three-day scruff is as effective as Clark Kent's glasses. I was going to say, it's like the heroine taking off her glasses and no one recognizes her. Right. Um, so she hooks up with him and then she still doesn't recognize him when she goes to a launch party of their of his company's East Lake tablet. And he's up there on a podium speaking and she's like, boy, he looks really familiar, but I don't know where I can place him. <laughs> you know, what's really funny. I told you about that book that I read where the hero was a rugby star in New Zealand and the heroine didn't have any idea who she was. Right. One of the things that the hero found so interesting about that heroine was that everyone in the country knew who he was. Like every single human being in New Zealand knew who he was because he was in some way famous and prominent. And at one point he says, you know, aside from, you know, rugby and a few other people, there really aren't that many famous people just hanging around New Zealand. So the idea that he's incognito is crazy. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I could I could somewhat believe that because he's a sports guy and there's some people who just do not watch sports. Of course. But they are in the same industry. It would be like she's working for a sports um she she's a sports reporter but doesn't recognize the most famous athlete and and uh in the sport that she covers. Of course. There's it would no be way. like someone from Mashable or TechCrunch not recognizing Steve Jobs. <laughs> After you've had sex with him. Of course. Well, you know, after you have sex with people, they look different. They, they, they look very different. You don't recognize them ever. Okay, I kind of want to read that now. <laughs> well, it's actually a cute story, but you got to get, I mean, the first, like, I'm my eyes are rolling so hard. I gave myself a headache. Um, so you got to really overcome that. But it's cute. So it's, uh, she has another book coming out from a different publisher. Oh, Sam Hain. So I requested that. And I'm hoping that that doesn't have quite such an unbelievable setup. Yeah, that would be good. <laughs> well, what are you, be what have you been reading? I just started Never Deal with Dragons by Lorenda Christensen after seeing a few people online talking about it. And I, I was I told not to read that. So. <laughs> That I wouldn't like it. I wonder why. <laughs> well, but you know what? If, if you don't like it, there's probably a better chance that I will. So I'm going to read it and see what I think. I am not big into paranormal, but what I like so far about this book is that it's paranormal with a very large acknowledgement of 
some of the silliness of paranormal worlds. Like one of the things I'm very burned out on is the the dystopian, arduous misery of of paranormal universes where everything just sucks so bad, and it's and the world is going to end if we don't bone right now. Oh, good Christ! You know, people, you have magical powers. Do some silly shit with them. Come on, you're human. Hey, did you? I saw retweeted in my Twitter stream last night a tweet from Terry Adair that said, "Female ferrets." go into heat and will die if they do not find their mate. And she said something like, that's our romance heroine. Yes, it is. <laughs> so see, they're just replicating science and yes. nature. And ferrets, ferrets. That's what we are. We're ferrets. Ugh. Okay. So the thing I like about the opening chapters of Never Deal with Dragons, and I'm not that far into it, is that it's it, ha- it acknowledges the silliness of the world that the heroine is operating in. The heroine is a mediator between dragons and humans. And so if the dragon does something like eats all your cows and you're pissed off because the dragon ate all your cows and the dragon's like, I'm really sorry I ate all your cows, but I'm pregnant and I need to eat cows, the mediator will figure out the best solution for that particular problem. So it's almost like dragons and lawyers or mediator lawyers because they also, I think, render decisions. I haven't gotten that far into it. Um, and I just reread Ransom by Julie Garwood because tonight is the book chat and um, that book is really fun. And it's interesting how how much I am willing to tolerate a completely magical Mary Sue-esque heroine in a in a historical by Julie Garwood that would drive me nuts anywhere else. So to me, Ransom is one of my least favorite Garwood. In fact, when I saw that you had picked that, I'm like, why, Sarah? That's like my least favorite of all the <laughs> Garwood historicals. That is my least favorite. Not only because it has two romances smushed into one story. Yes, and it does. Neither one I felt like was given the shrift is that it was just so derivative of the bride. And I just could not get over that. And it is just, it, it ranks at the very bottom of my guard. I've, I've only reread it like once and I hated it the second time around. <laughs> Which is funny because the bride is one of my favorite Garwoods. I think that's the one I love most of all. And when I was trying to figure out which book to pick, I was really struggling between the bride and ransom and trying to figure out which one to go for this, for this pick. It is completely derivative of the bride, except that there's more travel in this one. So this is the this is the bride with more road tripping, and I was totally on board. I liked it. I had a good old time, and I didn't mind I didn't mind the derivative aspects, but like I said, it it blew me away how I am so irritated by perfect heroines unless they're dipped in the magic of Garwood, and then I'm all good. But the thing that I read that like seriously, I. I almost texted you all of my rage, except that it was the middle of the night and I couldn't speak coherently. I read the most awful fucking book and I reviewed it today and I gave it a big fucking F because it was so angry making. Did anyone pitch you Big Girl Panties by Stephanie Ivanovich? Um, yes, but I have no desire to read that. That's Janet Ivanovich's daughter, right? Niece. It's her niece, okay. I think. Because I am convinced that Janet Ivanovich is no longer writing her books that she just plots out the idea and somebody else writes them. You mean like Francine Pascal and, and VC Andrews, they're plotted out in an outline and written and written by committee. Yeah. I don't think that, I don't think it's written by committee. I think her daughter or whomever it is writes these stories. I don't think that she writes them anymore, but um, no, this, I had no desire to read big girl panties. I was pitched it, but I just deleted that email. Well, ugh. here's, Here's the thing about this book. The heroine is overweight and a widow, 
and she's she has become more overweight because when her husband and she's young she's in her 30s early 30s but when her husband became sick and had very late stage cancer he insisted that she be the only person to care for him so she was basically emotionally and physically exhausted by the experience and then he died and she's in the middle of this grief and anger that he made he was he would only let her care for him which was just a difficult experience so she was stress eating and now she's very overweight the hero is a personal trainer and i have a personal trainer his name is Darnell, and he I've worked with him since January of 2011, and he comes to my house once a week, and we work out, and it's wonderfully motivating to have somebody come in your house and be like, dude, I can tell you've been slacking, because so you don't slack off, and it works really well for me, so I am telling him about this book, and I am embarrassed to be telling him about this book, because it is so offensive to his profession, and there were several times where he was like, wait, 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 you need to explain that again, because that is so unacceptable. Oh, it was the most horrible thing I have read in a very long time, and I wish to kill the hero. Like, I wish he was a real person so that I could go and hit him with things. He is horrible. Okay, so I had a little rage when I read that book. Hated it. Just a little. Just a, Oh, my God. I do not recommend that you read that book unless you have some sort of stored latent fury that you can't get out and you wish to direct it at something. Then you can read this book and direct it at the hero. Okay, I'm going to pass. <laughs> You're welcome. Good luck with that because he's an asshole. And that's all for this week's podcast. I hope you enjoyed that. The music that you're listening to was provided by Sassy Outwater. And this is a group called Deviations Project. And we featured their music before. This song is called Celtic Rock. And it is a violinist and a producer that have worked together on so many different amazing things. They have their own big old Wikipedia page of much awesomeness. You'll have information about the music, who they are, and where you can buy it on the webpage when the podcast goes up. And if you like the podcast, you can subscribe to our feed. You can find us on Facebook. Or you can email us and tell us what you thought or ask us questions or disagree with us. We like all of these things. You can contact us at sbjpodcast at gmail.com. That's S for Sarah, B for bitches, J for Jane, podcast at gmail.com. Or you can leave us a message on our Google Voice number, which is 1201371DBSA. Please don't forget to leave your name and where you're calling from so we can include your message in an upcoming podcast. And finally, we have some information from our sponsor, Penguin, also known as Intermix, also known as Berkeley, and NAL, and many other things. This podcast was brought to you by Berkeley Books, the publisher of Carly Phillips' newest serendipity romance, Perfect Bling. You can meet serendipity's finest, the irresistible and appealing policeman of small-town serendipity, and the stars of a sexy new romance series by best-selling author Carly Phillips. When assistant DA and town good girl Erin Marsden meets an ex-undercover agent, Cole Sanders, neither can resist the off-the-charts chemistry, but she'll need him to be as good a bodyguard as he is a lover. Find out if he has what it takes in Perfect Fling, brand new serendipity book from Carly Phillips, available wherever books are sold. I am about a week away from going to Australia for a month because, well, there's a lot of things that I'm going to do in Australia. I am going to be speaking at the Romance Writers of Australia Conference, which is in Perth in Western Australia. And then I will be part of the Melbourne Writers Festival and the Brisbane Writers Festival. So I will be leaving the country in mid-August and not come back till September. So don't break anything here while I'm gone. I am going to try to do some podcasts because it's kind of cool to talk to Australians, especially if we're drinking. 
I'm always curious what romance readers want and look for and want to read, especially when the market is so different from ours. So I'm going to try to do some interviews in Australia while I'm there. And if you have any suggestions or questions you'd like me to ask the Australians, you can contact me at sbjpodcast at gmail.com or sarah at smartbitchestrashybooks.com. Either one will reach me. And wherever you are, whatever you're doing, or wherever you're listening, Jane and I wish you the very best of reading.